Good morning. We have come to a passage in Matthew's gospel this morning that is, um, contains some of the most debated lines in all of Scripture. What does it mean for Peter to be called the rock? What does it mean for Jesus to build his church upon it? What about those keys to the kingdom? What does that mean? How do they fit in? So I want us to spend some time this morning in Matthew, our gospel text. We're in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to focus in on mostly just three verses, 17, 18, and 19. Um, And I strongly encourage you to look that up and to follow along. It will be very helpful this morning um, if you are able to do that. And so if you have a Bible with you or or a Bible app on your phone, by all means, pull it up. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 to 19. And we're going to consider this morning... What kind of rock is Jesus building his church on? On what kind of rock is Jesus building his church? Matthew 16, verses 17 to 19. First, a little bit of context. The disciples, they have traveled up into Gentile territory. They have left the land of Judea. They have gone north to a town called Caesarea Philippi. Um, and, And they're alone. They're not surrounded by the crowds. And Jesus decides to give them a little bit of a pop quiz. Now, if you have any, um, if that causes some trauma, thinking back to your high school days, it probably did for these disciples as well. There's two questions. One's easy and one is hard. The first question, Jesus says, who do the crowds say that I am? That's easy. Who Who do other people say that I am? The disciples respond, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say you're, you're one of the prophets. It is certainly a response of a crowd that is in awe of Jesus. They've seen his amazing works, they've, they've heard his, his teaching, they're inspired and, and excited about him, and yet still confused about who he really is. And so then the second question in this little quiz, Jesus looks at his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Enough about them. What about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter, Peter has this moment of divine clairvoyance. I can almost just imagine him blurting it out. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. Peter somehow, someway at this moment, gets it. He gets it. He passes the quiz. He sees Jesus for who he is and he confesses it. And in many ways, Peter is the spokesman for all the disciples. Certainly, they've been having this conversation among themselves. Seeing the miracles, hearing the teachings, seeing Jesus walk on water. Who is this man? Who do you think he is? John, what do you think? He's the Christ. They're beginning to see. They're beginning to realize the extent of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And so then, let's focus in on how Jesus responds to Peter's confession. How does Jesus respond? And, And then, in the midst of that, we'll see what kind of rock... This church is built upon. 
So the first thing we see that Jesus is building his church upon a rock of assurance. It's a rock of assurance. Let's read verses 17 and, and the first part of 18 there in chapter 16 of Matthew. So Peter replies, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. My friends, Jesus is abundantly clear. Peter's ability to confess his identity is not some sort of um, intellectual grandness that Peter has obtained. It's not on the basis of human reasoning or a high IQ. No, his ability to say, you are the Christ, is completely and solely dependent on a gift from God. It's not anyone else. It's not flesh and blood. It's not your own smart brain, Peter, that's revealed this to you. But it's my Father who is in heaven. It is a gift of God that Peter could see Jesus for who he really is. And furthermore, this gift is life-changing. Peter, is, he was born Simon. That's his identity, Simon the fisherman. More precisely, he was Simon the son of John, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's who he was, but no more. Because Jesus says, now you are Peter, Petros, Greek for rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. No longer is he Simon, son of John, but he is, he's Peter. He is the rock. And it just, that's a much cooler way of being known, right? The rock? That sounds much better than um, Simon. Simon's nice, but there's no rock. So now Simon is the rock, and on this rock, Jesus is going to build his church. This is who Peter is. He's, he's not building it just on Peter the fisherman. He's be, building the, the church on Peter the man who was given this gift by God to confess Jesus as the Messiah. And he's not building buildings on this rock. We have lovely church buildings here in coastal South Carolina. They're not built on rocks. I used to be an engineer. They're built on puff mud. Some of them are falling down. He's not building a building, he's building the ecclesia, the gathered people of God. The New Testament has no language for church building. They're called synagogues. He's building the people of God. So how is this assurance? Well, let's consider Peter. About two verses later, I mean, it does not take long, friends, two verses Peter drifts away from this confession. Maybe he's bold, emboldened by his leadership. Well, if I'm, if I'm the rock, I better really step into to some good leadership here, some good second chair leadership behind Jesus. And Jesus starts to talk about what it really means for him to be the Messiah. That yes, he is the Messiah, but, but the Messiah is different than what you expect. This Messiah must die. He's actually going to be turned over to the Jewish leaders. He's going to be crucified. On the third day, he will rise again. But Jesus doesn't, or Peter doesn't wait to, to let that last part rise again process. He hears the Messiah is going to be crucified, and he says, no. No, Jesus, Messiahs aren't crucified. They don't die. 
At least they're not killed by the enemies. They, they go in charging and overthrowing Romans. And Peter looks at Jesus. Or Jesus looks at Peter, excuse me. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now that is quite a tumble in two verses. From the rock to be equated with Satan himself. So where is the assurance? Jesus isn't building his church on Peter the man. Jesus is building his church on Peter who is given a gift from God to confess the Messiah. And so the source of Peter's identity isn't in himself or his own virtue. The source is in God's divine gift that would allow Peter to confess Jesus Christ. And so Peter's going to fall and he's going to stumble and this isn't the last of it and you know that. And and furthermore, the disciples are going to fall and stumble and argue about who's the best and they're going to desert Jesus when he needs him the most. And those are the men that are the rock upon which the church is built. Not because of what they've done, but because of what God has done to them. And so it becomes a matter of simple historical fact that Peter was the leader of the early church in the book of Acts. Peter was the one who stood up on Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel and converted thousands to Jesus' name. Peter was the one who had the dream that the Gentiles might actually be included in this plan for God, that it wasn't just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Now, to be clear, Scripture makes no mention of Peter's successors. He's not the first in a, a line of leaders. He's just the first leader. The first among equals. And as he fades in Acts, others rise up. James, right? Paul. They become the leaders of the church. And so we have here, Peter is a first among equals with the disciples following suit. And upon them, the church is built. So this assurance then comes from God. And and one more thing about this assurance. This is the longest point, by the way. The ability to confess Christ is not up to us. So as individuals, that should be really very assuring. Because I know you're fickle in your faith. If you're anything like me, you're fickle people. You believe, and some days you really believe. And then other days you kind of believe. And then some days you might not be sure you believe at all. And those days hopefully are, are, are few and far between. But, but even the, the, the most virtuous Christians that we might see have significant periods of doubt. And how about the church as a, a community, right? Very often we see the church as a group of people that, that are so clearly divinely purposed. And then other times we look at the church throughout history and we see a group of people that are just bumbling around, barely getting it right, and, and sometimes getting it completely wrong. But thankfully, it's not dependent on us and our sinful nature, but it's dependent on God and His Holy Spirit. And so it's not by the apostles' superior faith that they become the rock of the church. It's by God's superior gift. And friends, that is very assuring to me. This is a rock of assurance. Second thing to notice, Jesus is building His church upon a rock of promise a rock of promise. And so what we see then is, is 
this promise to Peter and the apostles that the church that Jesus is building will prevail even against death itself. Read on in verse 18. Um, I tell you, you're Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades, the place of death, place of the end, nothingness. Now, certainly, in Peter and Jesus' day, they would have realized the very real impending nature of death because it happened often and it happened young. And even today, death is the um, one and final enemy that we will all face. Satan's ultimate weapon when it comes to all people. What do they say? The death rate is 100%. And yet Jesus has promised to Peter, not even death will overcome my church. Not even the gates of hell can swallow up the community of God's people. Imagine that you were a Christian at the end of, you know, the 90s, 100s, 110s AD, reading Matthew's gospel. You're being persecuted on the left by the Jewish leaders. You're being persecuted on the right by the Roman army. And you're thinking, what is this? What's going on? What is this about? God, I thought we were your people. And then you get to this passage. No, not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's people. What promise? What promise even for us today as we, we at least perceive in the West a declining and dying um, church? As we, as we look at the, the slow end of Christendom in a, in a world that is, that is more and more ostracizing of Christians and, and pushing them to the, to the outside of society, and we wonder what's happening and what's going on, and we read a passage like this. Not even the gates of hell, friends, will prevail against God's people. And then we glance across the pond and we see our brothers and sisters in Africa and then in Asia where, where they are being really persecuted for what they believe and the church is exploding. The gates of hell are coming at them with all they have and the church is exploding. And we see that God is faithful to his promises. But not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. It's a rock of promise. And then finally, we see in this text that Jesus is building his church upon a rock of responsibility. Look at verse 19. He says this to the disciples and to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's using Old Testament language of, of steward. And we, we see several parables about, about stewards and being stewards of God's kingdom. And he's, he's giving this responsibility to Peter. He's, he's not the king. And the apostles, the disciples, they're not the, the kings, but they're the stewards. They are charged with responsibility of the kingdom on this earth. And so the stewards in the Old Testament were responsible for, for opening um, the doors and providing for the people. 
And so it is with the stewards of the kingdom, that the the keys to the kingdom would open the doors that the people might know the saving love of Jesus Christ. They're trusted with the responsibility of overseeing and carrying out the work of the kingdom. And these keys then, it's the gospel, the key to the kingdom is, is Peter's very confession that we just read about. He confesses Jesus as Christ, and when he does that publicly, he brings disciples into the kingdom of God. And so then we have this interesting verse here, the end of verse 19. Um, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I love this translation of the Bible, but I think it slightly obscures um, the meaning of this text. And just to be fair, if they had written it out long form, um, it would have been very cumbersome. And so, so, so it's excusable. But we have a, a, a quick grammar lesson we need to, to look at here. Um, the translation we're reading, okay, at least the ESV, is, a, is just a simple future tense. So if you do this, Peter, then this will happen in the future. Does that make sense? Okay, if, then, future. In the Greek, it's actually future perfect. It's actually future perfect passive if you're really nerdy about this sort of thing. And that's a very big difference. It's a big difference. And so perhaps you could read it this way in verse 19. Whatever you bind on earth, instead of shall be bound or will be bound, read it this way. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And so if you read it as just a simple future, it sounds like Peter initiates and heaven follows. But when you, when you put this will have been, you realize that the order is slightly different. That Peter is proclaiming things that heaven has already done and established. And so one commentator puts it like this. When Peter makes his decision it will be found to have already been made in heaven. It will have been made already. And so Peter and the apostles are given the keys, and they proclaim the kingdom, and they unleash a reality in this world of a truth that is already established in the heavenly realms, established before the foundations of the earth. Peter proclaims the gospel, and people come into the kingdom Because it is a gift from God. There's no debate about whether you belong or not. Because it's already established in heaven. And so as you know, when when, when the keys are, are unleashed, when the gospel is proclaimed, when the kingdom is worked out in this world, there's two ways to respond, right? Some are loosed. They're freed. They realize the love of Christ. And others are bound And hearing about the love of the one who would die on the cross actually hardens their hearts. Loosing and binding. But it's not up to us to decide who's loose and who's bound. It's up to us to open the door and proclaim the gospel. And so, friends, we have been built on a rock of assurance, a rock of promise, and a rock of responsibility. It's my prayer that we would be a church, a gathered people of God, who are gospel-proclaiming, who are willing to proclaim the kingdom in, in word and deed, 
to show the love of Christ so that others might come into it. May we rest on the assurance and promise of Jesus that is built upon the foundation of the apostles and not even the gates of hell will overcome us as we seek to do the work of the kingdom. Let us pray.